This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. We're back at it, in which a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Nick read Jennifer Cruz's Faking It, and I read Matt Dickinson's Mortal Chaos, Deep Oblivion. Welcome to Bibliovile. We are back into the original flavor, extra crispy uh, Bibliovile. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are here to tell you about the bad books that we have read over the course of definitely just two weeks. And before we get started, I want to tell you, listener, for sure, we are recording this just after finishing these readings. Mm-hmm. That we have a lot to say. Completely on time. We would never let too much time slip by after finishing our books where we started to forget important details before recording. And I am I am sitting here holding the book that I read this past couple of weeks, uh, Faking It by Jennifer Cruzy. There's a cover. There's words on it. And I absolutely did not just flip through the last 50 pages of my book to remind myself how it ended. And, and frankly, just as a whole, I want to just state despite the allegations that it did not feel like fate itself was trying to prevent us from recording this episode at all. That definitely was not true of the recording session. So last week you got a chance to meet Molly Malficarum and our real play RPG podcast, Molly's Monsters. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty fun. Uh, There might be more of those episodes coming out. Let us know how you feel about them. Uh, If if you like them, don't tell us if you don't. I can't take that kind of pressure. I think it's great, Mick. You did such a good job. Yeah, but we're we're coming in with our first guest star, and I'm not going to say who it is. It's everybody's favorite person, though. Everybody, everybody's everybody's, everybody's. every single person. Anyway, um, we read some books, and then fate conspired against us, and then it was a while before we were able to actually sit down and talk about them. Wow. Namely, that Mick lost his voice, and our jobs are really busy, and February was several years long. Yeah, not a good, not a great time of the year for anything, uh, especially not my health. But we can't solely blame fate because without uh, some of the choices of man, and I'm, I'm speaking uh, human, uh, we might have been able to escape the whims of fate. Namely, if Susan hadn't got me a book that was 450 pages long. Okay, I just listened in the car today to the episode that we released two bibliophiles ago where you got me a book that was over 400 pages long. So was don't it over 450. Don't act like you've never done this to me before. Remember 1632 or whatever it was <laughs> that was like 700 pages long? Yeah, but things happened in that book and faking it. Uh, the back of it was telling about these two people meeting in a closet and you'd be led to believe like the book is them on this crash course together and then the meeting in the closet happens like the end of act 1 and now it happens within like the first 10 pages. And so there's a lot of skimming in this book because there's just people sitting in living rooms having conversations a lot of the time. No, and I'm sure they're particularly enjoyable yeah. to read about unless it's done really, really well. Yeah. I I'm sure they were very enjoyable because the writing here wasn't too bad and the jokes were pretty good, but it's just I don't I don't wanna see all of this. Like I don't there's too many characters and they're too much alike. There's a grandma, two sisters, and then a daughter to those two sisters of one family, and one of the sisters has a uh, uh, alternate ego that she uses to go to the dive bars. 
like with her uh, gay her gay husband who goes or former husband who goes in drag to these uh, these bars. Uh, and so there is a Louise and an Eve, and Louise is the alter ego she uses to get out of, you know, responsibility and be wild because she needs to wear a black wig while she does that or something. Isn't this a very similar to the last book that you read? Like, wasn't, or that was like a multiple personality yeah. thing, not this an one's alter, just ego alter ego thing? Yeah. Weird. Um, but the plot of this book is basically, it's trying to be how to steal a million dollars or how to fake a million. I don't remember with Audrey Hepburn and how to steal a million. I think I was pretty drunk and sleepy and not very interested. Sorry, Michelle, when we watched it, uh, I'm sure it's a very good movie, but it's it, like that sort of charming drawing room kind of goof them up. Yeah. You know, uh, uh hijinks, high, the hijinks level mm-hmm. is very high jinx. <laughs> um, while everyone is very charming and gorgeous, but the plot is that Davy, which is the stupidest name, uh, is a con man and he's not as actually like a, uh, an illegal con man, but he's just very, very good at manipulating people like to convince them to do things and mm. be charming. And then we also get Matilda Goodnight of the Goodnight family who runs a, uh, like a gallery, a failing gallery. So the brunt of this book is that Matilda was forced by her father to forge artworks of a Homer, and she forged it as Scarlet Homer's daughter. Oh, okay. And so she's been forging these, and they've sold them out into the world, and it's this, like, family's deepest, darkest secret, and they're, like, they've been art forgers for generations, like, since 1400 generations, you know. Like 1400 AD, not 1400 generations. So they've been forging artwork for as long as the Bombay family have been assassinated. Basically, yes. Um, and so the the problem, I have no idea how it started, is that these Scarlets are beginning to pop up again. And if they get sold and like appraised, there's a risk of people finding out that it is forged, which will come back on them, expose on them for all their forgeries, and then ruin everything. So Matilda has to go steal back these forgeries or these fake paintings because it's not like a, uh, a, a it's copy. not like a copy. Yeah. yeah, it's just like I lied when I said who painted this. I made up a person. So she has to steal back these paintings from a like art collector who is currently uh, pretty rich, and there's a woman trying to seduce him for his money. Clea, Clay, C L E A, Clea, Clea. Clea. Clea is trying to seduce him for his money and, like, wants to impress him so she can kick her heels up and marry a rich dude. But it turns out that Clea was Davy's ex-lover and he's in town to steal back money she stole from him that he stole from her. Uh, and so it's like this classic, you know, femme fatale thing, which was pretty funnily written because it's like an aging femme fatale who's running out of time to be a femme fatale. <laughs> so it's pretty good. Hi, Jinx. Hi, Jinx. Uh, but then Davy runs into Matilda in the closet while she's trying to steal back a painting and he's trying to get into this. Uh, laptop they very quickly make out and then uh he steals her the painting and then they they he moves into the apartment and brings his other thief friend with him into the apartment and then his dad shows up and moves into the apartment as well and everyone's having sex with one of the good night women uh plus clea is going to hire a hitman to try and kill davy uh so like it's hijinks and it's fun and it would have been good, except it's 450 pages long. And then we also get, like, mini plots about the, the daughter of Louise or Eve or whatever. Yeah. Um, breaking up with one boyfriend, getting another guy that the two con men can kind of realize is putting on, like, the moves. And they're not mm-hmm. going to 
not gonna have it. She's too nice to have like be taken for a turn or whatever. And so I don't care about her. And we get a ton of stupid running things about. Uh, have you ever heard of double cross sticks? Double cross sticks. Yeah. It's like a puzzle, and it sounds like crosswords because she needs a certain amount of letters and, and words, but they never, never said crosswords. Never heard of that before. Okay. Uh, but basically what I'm getting at, to is that there is Louise, Tilda, Sophie, Gwen, Natalie, Clee, uh, Eve, Davy, Alderman, like Martin. There's just all forgettable white names. Uh, it's trying very hard to be like an Audrey Hepburn movie. Yeah. And it does this by uh, not only referencing movies with quotes, but then the characters will go, that was a movie quote. Ooh. When they say that. So um, it's like if you got a bunch of people in a room and then nothing much happened. Like you're very sure that they're fun people, but you had to spend eight hours with them and there are four good jokes or something. Um. The last painting has been stolen uh, back in the hands of the Good Knights. The Good Knights Gallery has reopened and is selling uh, furniture that they were originally too scared to sell because I thought it was bad. Mm. But with Davy and Davy's dad's help uh, and the daughter is a, is a salesman as well, they are now like the gallery is back in business and it's doing pretty well. And hey, okay, the, the plot has been solved. We have 125 pages to go. Ooh. What happens in those last 125 pages? Well, we find a dead body. So we start a new book. Yeah, we start a new plot. We find a dead body, but it turns out he's not dead. And it's, yeah, just very bad and goes nowhere. It's like the scenes in micro, if you read scene to scene, are fun and funny and Mm -hmm. like work. But there's absolutely, you could tell that I don't think the author ever put up like sticky notes on a wall or sketched out how this entire book was going to go. And then she just kept writing like, ooh, this is a fun scene. Let me make it 20 pages long. It's like, okay, this scene is fun, yes, but the book does not benefit from having all of these 20 page long scenes in them. Do they, and do they feel like those scenes tie tie in well together or it seems pretty disjointed? Yeah, it seems disjointed where it's like... I'm not here for a day in the life of a gallery owner. I'm here to see paintings get stolen and people boink. It was pretty good. It was one of those like, oh, she's too in her own head to have an orgasm. Mm -hmm. Like, I can understand, but I'm I'm kind of tired of getting those as character traits. Yeah. Like, that happens to people on stressful days and whatnot. But I just, why is that your defining sexual characteristic, you know? And so it's the most disappointing sex I'd ever read in a book. Most disappointing consensual sex I'd ever read in a book. It was pretty funny where it's told from her point of view and it's just her like wishing he could be in a slightly different place or worrying about what her belly looks like and stuff like that. And so it's pretty fun. And once you know it, she's absolutely gorgeous and like... And just doesn't know it. Yeah. And he describes her as full and round. So she's kind of like buxom. Mm. But she just doesn't know it. Uh, And later she plugs in her vibrator. Um, and you know, I, for some reason, there's a lot of different types of chords around the world, right? Yeah. But for some reason, I can only think of an electric blanket chord, like (laughs) that sort of weird double corded chord. Yeah. Uh, Oh. So plugging in a vibrator seems a very weird thing to do. Uh, She has an orgasm and later they have the best sex of both of their lives as they are confessing their respective cons and lies and, uh... (laughs) shady if not outright illegal dealings while about to have sex with each other that scene actually sounds kind of well, fun, yeah, yeah like i said like every single scene works as a scene but the book does not work as a book so faking it 
is a triple like a really good entendre about you know making fake paintings but also that she has to fake a couple orgasms and he gets really mad at her because <laughs> she's like well you weren't we're doing, doing it yeah. yeah so that's the book that took me forever to read and i it only took me 11 minutes to talk about so well my book i got done with pretty quickly I have some things to say about this. So book. your book, Modern Cha- Mortal Chaos: Deep Oblivion, by friend of the show, brother of me, Matt Dickinson. That's the first question that I was going to ask you. Do you think that your brother really wrote this book and just didn't tell anybody about it? No, I think he did. I, I, this is. I, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, and I'm sure he's coming out with another one. Actually, he is because in the back of this book. He tells us right more about, the author page. about Speed Freaks. Uh-oh. Is this Uh-oh. Stephen King? Are we going to make a new rule that we can... Oh, no, it's the Mountaineer Matt Dickinson. It's the Mountaineer Matt Dickinson. He's a writer and a filmmaker with an enduring and sometimes dangerous passion for wild places and wilder people. He was trained at the BBC and has subsequently filmed many award-winning documentaries for National Geographic Television, Discovery Channel, and Channel 4. Man, my brother is way more interesting than I thought. He's so interesting. He wrote a book that has 299 pages and 202 chapters. (laughs) (laughs) On average, each chapter has less than a page and a half of text in it. Well, that's like on average, the average person has less than two arms. Correct. Uh, I would like to tell you the names. So this is one of those books where, like, from chapter to chapter, we switch perspective between some of our main characters. Oh, so we go back. What do you mean? Like, in Game of Thrones, you don't read from Ned's perspective once. They go back to Ned's. Correct. Okay, Yes. Um, But let me tell you whose perspective we hear from. This is the full list. Trini Davis, Sean Spencer, Isabella, Hannah. Ella, Gwen, Wayan, Todd, Captain Olberg, Marco, Captain Kickback, General Pow Ta, Tapo, the Glenmore Fire Department, John Hicks, Fran Hicks, Murray West, Tammy Simons, Bruce, Thiago, and Paul Masters. Now, I'd like to point out that some of those were not people, but organizations. Just one. The Glenmore Fire Department. Okay, and Captain Kickback? Yep, that's a person. Is it pirate or? Uh, he's a rebel commander in Liberia. Oh, yep. Nice. So I don't you know if you noticed. In Liberia. I don't know if you noticed, but that was a lot of characters. That was several. That was too many. Too many for two hundred ninety-nine pages. Too many for five hundred ninety-nine yeah. pages. That is a lot of characters, especially because the chapters are all a page and a half or less, and so we don't really get any time to get to know our characters. It's just like very brief snippets of things happening, and it kind of works in like a very fast-paced, disjointed way. Mm. And like for a book that I think is designed to be read very quickly. Like, it accomplishes its goal. It's just very disorienting. So, so the, what's the plot? So this is kind of like the butterfly effect where it's all about how, like, the one... The butterfly of chaos. Indeed. From the night side. Indeed. And this this flaming butterfly that's on the cover of this book is the butterfly of chaos. It represents the Dickens. And so this, this book is, like, all about all of these people whose lives are impacted by this one specific thing that happens, like, in the morning. 
on like a random day in Australia when there's a butterfly trapped in the top floor of a building that's under construction. And there is a gentleman named Marco who's really afraid of butterflies and he's a security guard. And so he goes up to the top floor and he finds this butterfly and he's trying to kill it. And so he like slams his hand against the wall and instead of just killing the butterfly, the glass wasn't attached right. And so from the 21st floor, this glass pane falls out and hits the ground below and shatters. And that sparks all of these things that are happening from Australia to Liberia to Brazil to Myanmar. And then also in this cruise ship in the Sydney Harbor. Neat. Was one of the chapters I was walking along. By the way, my name is Sydney. And then a giant pane of glass fell on me and I died. Well, so no people die. In chapter, like, five, a dog dies. So no. I'm not thrilled about that. And the dog belongs to a homeless girl. So why'd you have to do that, Matt? Um, Matt. Let's have words. Really? Yeah. Why'd you have to kill the dog? But so all of these crazy things happen. Like, a piece of glass winds up in a truck bed that's carrying a bunch of fireworks for a firework display later. And... Um, gosh, what are some of the other things that happen? The dog dies, and then there's, a like, a big car accident, and then there's a doctor that stops to help the people that were impacted, and then the girl whose dog dies steals that doctor's moped and drives away, and then a cop chases after her, and there's a whole big chase scene, and then... Some somehow I can't remember how, but like the a shard of glass causes a giant fire in the canyon, and it's just like it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs, and it winds up impacting this gigantic cruise ship that's trying to dock, um, and like unload and reload and get new passengers and then get out on time, and naturally the cruise ship winds up sinking, and so like at the beginning it's. It's these things that don't seem like they're going to be too catastrophic. Like, yes, it's very traumatizing. This girl's dog dies. But, like, there's no gore or death or destruction. Until about page 229. What chapters are we in? 137. <laughs> oh, boy. And we are with Sean, who is the the mastermind behind the giant fireworks display. So he is... On top of the bridge. All covered in cheese. Putting his fireworks display on the bridge because it's all going to go like from Batman. the bridge. And there, the piece of glass that got stuck in with the fireworks, the sun hit it and then it started smoldering. Sean stared at the smoking firework, not sure he could believe what he was seeing. The maroon was definitely smoldering, but what had caused such a thing to happen? Sean twisted his body so he could see the back of the firework. Straight away, he saw the shard of glass which was embedded in the body of the device. At the same instant, he saw the hole that the focused rays of the sun had burned into the shell. With a jolt of fear, he realized he had to pluck the glass out fast or the flash powder could detonate. He was reaching for the shard as the powder went off. The blast hit Sean full in the face from a distance of approximately 20 centimeters. Sean's world went rainbow bright. But only for a split Wait, millisecond okay. before the propulsive force of the detonation turned his face inside out. His jawbone, teeth, and both cheekbones were immediately blown back into the deepest recess of his brain. Wow. That, not only gory and gross, but like way overwrought. 
He's yeah. 20 centimeters away? That's less than a foot. Like, what's he doing? Mm, let me see if I can get this glass out. That's way too close. And then his face and then peels what's, off. What's rainbow bright? Because rainbows are colorful. They're not yes. especially bright. They're and then, rainbow bright. That's a word. That's a phrase I've heard before, though. No, there's a character called rainbow bright. Uh, maybe um, that's why. And then what's the deepest recesses of his brain? Because that's only about like eight inches away. Yeah, I know. His. It's not particularly deep. Um, then also, Just like this book. one of his, very broad, not very deep, one of his colleagues is suspended and the winch is beginning to strain. Um, let's see, where's the gory thing that happens to him? An instant later, the winch blew itself to smithereens. The steel cable whipped back as it broke, sending the entire north end of the gantry into free fall as it swung loose, complete with its load of fireworks. Sean's colleague plummeted with it, slamming into the steel girder 20 meters below him and dying instantly of multiple traumas. That guy doesn't even get a name. He's just Sean's colleague. Wow. This is like if Adderall gave you all of the energy, but none of the focus. Yeah. Or then, maybe it's just like too focused. Then we go to the middle of a river in Brazil where a man named Todd is helping a young uh, girl named Isabella. No, he's Australian. Um, and he's trying to save her and help is coming, but he winds up collapsing. Uh, Thiago, who's the guy who's trying to save them, turned back for the gringo, but he was too late. The heroic traveler had already disappeared between the surface of the river, and all that was left was a patch of red water and a boiling mass of predators writhing in the depths. The piranhas had won their prize. He gets eaten by piranhas. Yeah, I know. And then did he hear the natives' drums <laughs> over the next hill? Nobody gets a, eaten by piranhas. Do you have a pith helmet on? Apparently. Uh, John, so then there's a man named John Hicks who has a heart attack and falls off the balcony of a hotel. John Hicks's body fell eight stories down into the atrium of the hotel in less than 1.5 seconds. The fall was utterly silent, witnessed by nobody except for the horrified bellboy who had delivered the fateful facts. The falling corpse hit General Taw as he crossed the atrium of the hotel with his entourage of thugs. The impact was instantly fatal. The 110-kilo body of the Australian businessman hitting the hardline chief of Myanmar's defense service full on the head, breaking two of the vertebrae in his neck and crushing his windpipe. It's like, this is some gory shit, like piranhas and getting your face blown off. Two kills two characters in one stupid fall. Yes. And... I'm. I am gathering a a sense of unnecessary uh, specificity. Correct. Is that a common thing throughout this? Throughout work? the whole thing. Fantastic. And I think it's supposed to be like hyper specific in these tiny little snippets. Like I think that's the intentional style of it, and I don't. It's I like, don't like it. John drove a red truck whose hex code was 0038F. Yeah. Then there's a weird part where Commander Kickback, who's like the the rebel commander in Liberia who like kills a bunch of people in this um like has a an epiphany or a revelation that there is a god and and just stops killing people and starts weeping and lets his prisoners go that's good so that was a fun half a page um then we spent some time with lobsters so there was a big crate of lobsters that was on the cruise ship um, the lobsters were stored in a huge cold room situated at the aft end of one of the Cayman Glory's galleys. The cool room was constructed of layered aluminum with a foam heat trap Jesus. built in. It was no match for the extraordinary forces at work as the Cayman Glory broke her back. 
The cool rim imploded as the metal doors pinged off their hinges. 2,880 live Maine lobsters spilled from the cartons as the ship went down. They tumbled down to the seabed where they found that the water was warmer than the cool New England currents they were used to. Lobsters are hardy and adaptable creatures, though, and at least now they had a fighting chance. And with the scores of dead millionaires lying on the seabed, there would certainly be plenty of food available. Rather like the first-class passengers of the Cayman Glory, lobsters do like their food to be fresh. Like, there's just some gross and gruesome stuff yeah. in here. Even for me, I was pretty anti-capitalist. Yes, and it, it was. It sure was. Um, of, our, lobsters. of our main characters... Hey, hey, you know, the, the, uh, the lobsters didn't eat them for no reason. They had probable claws. <laughs> you you, you didn't... I, I was trying to make a joke with, like, our main characters, which includes the lobsters. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't appreciate that. That was pretty that was good. A pretty Too good subtle for me. Um, so of our list of main characters, Is 11 the of them are killed gruesomely. So, like, that's a lot. Plus, there's a bunch of other people well, that die. It's not called Immortal Chaos. And then... Because that's my band. I'm going to read the last chapter for you. So remember, this all started with a construction worker named Marco. And slapping the, the Slapping butterfly. the butterfly. Is it going to be like Marco awoke from a VR experience and it was a twist ending the whole time? Well, so Marco wound up on a boat trying to rescue the passengers of the Cayman Glory that were sinking. And so this is the, the last page. Marco knew with a dread surge of terror that the struggle was over. He could feel his lungs heavy with seawater, and his efforts to break free from the netting had achieved nothing. The smoke was thicker than ever. Uh, He's trying to save somebody, and then his friends drove away in their boat. The smoke was thicker than ever, enveloping him in a blanket of black fog through which the occasional cry of drowning terror would distantly echo. The sinking ship was invisible to him, but he could hear the deep groaning and cracking of splintering metal as it sank. He was in pain. His lungs burned as salt water raged like acid on delicate tissue. He wanted to close his eyes to slip quietly beneath the waves. Then something emerged from the clouds of smoke. A 2.6 foot long fresh water A ragged, bass. winged creature. An Australian painted lady on the final flight of its life. Marco reached up with his hand, watching with rapt attention as the butterfly circled erratically then landed on his palm. He watched it for a few seconds, time slowing as it does for those who are soon to die. I'm sure. He felt none of the fear he normally had of such a creature. Instead, his terror seemed to melt away and he was filled with a divine sense of wonder that such a beautiful thing should exist. Marco gently curled his fingers shut, the butterfly passive to his touch. There was a bizarre comfort to the gossamer feel of this fragile and dying creature on his palm. He felt himself consoled somehow, even blessed. The terror subsided. Then, leaving only the slightest ripple, the tiniest eddy in the surface of the sea, Marco and the butterfly sank beneath the sea. So, so everybody dies, and also so do he and the butterfly that started it all. That's the book. I'm exhausted. I know. It was a wild ride and it got so gruesome. Matt, what is wrong with you? Why are I'm you so specific Meg. in your gruesomeness? That seems kind of spectrumy. Yeah. Doesn't it? Kind of. I feel bad saying that, but kind of. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like it was so specific in the way, the horrible ways that all of these people died. 
So yeah, this was kind of a wild ride. Uh, Mortal Chaos, Deep Oblivion by Matt Dickinson. This is apparently a series. I don't really know how this works as a series. I wonder if it's just like what? multiple books that are in the same vein, like super short chapters. Yeah, multiple butterflies, huh? Yeah. So why did the ship sink? The ship sank because of the fireworks, and then it got hit by a truck that was delivering the lobsters. And the lobsters? Well, the lady who was driving the truck with the lobsters got in an accident because she hit the wreckage from the motorbike that the girl stole after her dog died and the motorbike belonged to the doctor who came to help the victims of the crash when the glass fell off the building and shattered i, I tell you butterflies even, even though even though they're going to be led to survival those lobsters just eating all the millionaires down at the bottom just helping themselves yeah it's really shellfish <laughs> And with that, <laughs> yeah, this was uh, a bibliophile that was not squeezed between other things that we need to do. I cannot help but return to all of the promises of the things about this podcast. Uh, we will be back at some point, probably with more Molly's monsters. Mm. I don't think it would be so terrible, as you can probably tell, to take a short break from the bibliophile. This actually might be a good time to bring up the fact that we have made the decision to start winding down with Bibliovile. Yeah. Um, our our plan as of now is to keep recording episodes until we have finished Otherworld. And so I think we have uh, about, several books. I, well, I think we have three episodes of Otherworld left. Um, and the last Otherworld episode will then be our last episode of Bibliovile. For the time being. For the time being. And, and then we're going to be taking a break. We're going to give this Molly's Monsters thing a shot. Um, give ourselves a break from reading a bad book every two weeks and maybe focus on reading some more good ones. What? Might be good for our souls. Is that allowed? Actually, I think it is. Oh, okay, good. Um, so that will do it. So you can find me on Twitter at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. And I'm on Twitter at Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. Uh, thank you to the second of two random people to review us on iTunes. We're apparently charming. Oh, thank you so much. I know. It's very odd, but I, I love, love it. it. <laughs> that was <Not> charming. charming. <laughs> Um, the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Yeah, go ahead and like and smash that like button, share with your friends. Maybe they'll write us reviews on YouTube, uh, or iTunes is probably where they'll write reviews, not on YouTube. Uh, so thanks for listening and have a good night, Matt, but stop writing such weird books. Night!